Uh, so, listen, I'm going to introduce to you somebody who is very special to Chris and I, has been here uh, a couple of different times to minister to our church, but you know there are people in life who have an effect on us that we don't always know. Like, it, they, they made a, a, a stance, they had a ministry, they served the Lord, and it, it, it touches people in our lives, and then as time goes on, those people touch our lives, but it goes back, right? It, it goes back, and there were people who did this for Pastor John. But Chris and I, I tell you just a quick story. Uh, we were youth pastors in Lexington, Kentucky, and the church had gone through a really, really difficult time. It was a denominational church, and which one doesn't matter. But um, it was the third church in a row where um, in the denomination it had gone bad. And every couple of years we were having to be uprooted and moved on, and we were actually considering getting out of the ministry. We were coming back to Denver on vacation because Chris is from here and all of her family was here, and I happened to get a telephone call from this man right here. This is John Stalker. He's our pastor at Resurrection Fellowship, and if you go here, you've heard me mention that church how many times, and he and Miss Linda's name how many different times. And Pastor John had said, um, John, we'd like you to come and interview, and I said, Pastor, we're coming there on vacation, so since I'm paying for it, Rather than interview, can I just come to church? Can I just come sit in the church? And he said, if you're paying for it, you can do whatever you want to do. That's, that's up to you. And so Chris and I went to the church on a Sunday morning, and uh, it was like um, living water was being poured out to us, and manna uh, was being fed to us. And I had decided right then and there that this was the place we were coming, whether they wanted us to come here or not, right? That was going to be it. So then we did the interview process afterwards, and um, I, I desperately wanted to go there, but what I had found out, Pastor Job had taken, this is how far back it goes, you sent a teaching tape, right? <laughs> Do you know what a teaching tape is? I, some of you are like, what is he talking about, teaching tape? Pastor had listened to my teaching tape and didn't like it and threw it in the trash can, right? <laughs> but his wife, who actually hears from the Holy Spirit very powerfully... <laughs> very powerfully pulled it out and said, John, I think this might be the guy you need to listen again. And um, our years at resurrection, we were res for a little more than six years. They were the greatest years of our life uh, up until that point. Uh, my pastor taught me what I know about pastoring and how to organize. And I owe this man everything that I have in ministry, to be honest with you. But this is what's true, too, and what I was trying to say. If you enjoy this church, and if you find life in this church, and if this church feeds your soul, and if you've been born again in this church, or your children are prospering in this church, it doesn't stop with Chris and I or the staff here. There's people that went before us that have served the Lord so faithfully and done such a tremendous job. Now, I didn't do this to embarrass you, but to whom honor is due, honor should be given. Church, there's one other thing. The Bible says we have 10,000 teachers but not many fathers. This is a dad to me, and he's a dad to this church, so I want you to welcome a mom and a dad to the pulpit this weekend, please. This is Pastor John Stocker. So... I'll tell you the rest of the story <laughs> while Pastor John and Chris uh, were with us on our staff. Um, I developed serious, extremely serious uh, cardiac issues 
and had to have a quadruple bypass surgery. And I felt I was, I knew I would be out for quite some time. I felt there was only one person on my staff that I could place the church in his hands that he would be able to, to do it. And I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> because when I got back into the pulpit, he came to me, your pastor came to me and said, you know what? I just figured this out. I can do this. <laughs> and we're going down to Highlands Ranch and start a church. Oh, that's a low blow, brother. <laughs> but the fruit of that just thrills my heart so much. And we just thank God that it can uh, go on and on. And uh, remind me later after service, I need to talk to you about a guy who wants to interview you. Okay? All right? Yeah, okay. We'll, we'll talk, okay? And also, um, just uh, congratulations on this new facility. I have been so, I, I have been so eager to see it um, because um, your old facility was so beautiful and so well done. Everything was always like top drawer. And uh, I hadn't, I'd heard about this and didn't, hadn't seen it yet. But as, and I still haven't seen the whole building. We just didn't have time to do the, the, you know, the tour. So we'll do that later, but, or tomorrow or whenever. But um, I walked in and I'm like, yep, yep. <laughs> this is top drawer all the way. And um, I know that you had some, some delays in your construction and all that. I am convinced that whenever, see, Satan knows that if you don't have facilities, you, you are hamstrung. You, you are like, you're like going out and trying to do something that you just can't do. You're just always in, hitting a roadblock. And so whenever a church says, we're going to either get our first building or we're going to expand or whatever, you better know you are going to have opposition. It's not going to be easy. And um, my wife and I, uh, we're wildlife photographers now, and um, we, we took a picture. This is my wife's picture that uh, was, uh, I see it's up there. But it, it was like when I saw this, I got to tell you the truth. When I saw this photo, I was like, you know what that reminds me of? That reminds me of a pastor down in Denver who just said, devil, you want some of this? You come and get it. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, Lord. And we're going to do this to the glory of God. So that right there reminds me of your pastor. <laughs> okay. Every time I look at it. And by the way, if, if you would like to see more of our photos, go to truthwithjohn.com, okay? You can remember that because your pastor's name is John. It's not his website, it's ours. Uh, and this is my wife, Linda. She took that photo. Stand up there, Linda. I love bragging on her. Uh, and and uh, she took that photo. And I don't know why I even carry a camera around. 
Really, it's the truth. Um, we go out, we have the same cameras, same lenses, same everything, but invariably she comes back with the keepers. And uh, she took that photo. And uh, so uh, if you'd like to see more of the photos, truthwithjohn.com. Uh, we have a newsletter that we have three articles in every month. We enjoy writing now more than preaching, and uh, it's less pressure. But uh, go there, check it out. If you would like to subscribe, I promise you, it's free. All right? We don't charge. You can't buy anything on there if you wanted to. So you say, well, why, why do you do a free subscription? It's real simple. I stand up here tonight, and I tell you, go to truthwithjohn.com and check it out and all that. And you might go, and you might like it. You might read the newsletters. But I guarantee you, you will forget us. I promise. I just know how we are. We're all like that. We just look at something once and we forget it. If you subscribe, we send you a, a little reminder once a month, uh, an email. Once a month. That's, that's it. Unless I have something like this. I see some people here tonight that are here from way up north because, <laughs> Jim and Brenda, because they saw me announce it on my website. So... Uh, that I was speaking here. Other than that, we never, we never beg for money. We don't ask for money. We just want to be a blessing. So, by getting your email address once a month, you get reminded, hey, we got a new issue out. It comes out the last day of every month. So, Truth With John. Everybody say truthwithjohn.com. Okay? All right. Okay, now, I love it how the Lord guides our steps. And... Um, I love it when God confirms to me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. Um, I will share with you a story that I, I think is just amazing. It, it, literally, it literally gives me chills. Um, we were out trying to get some photographs of moose. And we were at Sprague Lake, and you that have been up there, most of you have. There's that walkway, that boardway, boardwalk around the southwest side of the of the lake, and they've got a little area there where you can sit. Well, that's where the moose usually come out. So we said, we'll go up there towards late, e late afternoon. We'll just sit and wait for the moose, and, which the moose never came. But uh, we were sitting there, and a couple came along, and uh, we struck up a conversation, and we were talking for a little while. And then uh, we always ask visitors, we say, uh, so where are you from? It's a f good way to just break the ice with people. So this, this couple said, we're from Albuquerque. And I said, uh, I, I didn't say this, uh, my wife did. They had quite an accent, an accent we recognized. And she said, so where are you from before Albuquerque? And they kind of looked down and quietly looked around, and they said, uh, Israel. Now, when this has happened so many times, I can't tell you, it's amazing. God does it. So when they said Israel, we're like, oh, that's the most exciting thing. We love Israel. Oh, we love the Jewish people. That's just to us, that is the most beautiful place in the world. And they're like, you, you've been there? I go, I've been there. I've been there 26 times. <laughs> and then um, we got to talking longer and... and uh, then they, 
they told us what village they're from. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've been in that village. My old guide used to live in that village. And, and uh, there, your hospital there was building a children's wing uh, about 25, 30 years ago. And we, we brought over a check for $125,000 to help finance that wing. These people, their jaw is falling off, of the, <laughs> off the boards. And they're, they're so amazed to find Christians that have a heart for Israel and love the Jewish people. And invariably, invariably, I've had them ask me, this couple didn't, but I've had others ask and say, oh, and by the way, that's the photograph up there of our, our friends. Uh, yeah, Linda and I, and they're on the right there. And uh, yeah, so anyway, uh, they, don't, they, don't, they don't come right out with a, like a, a, a billboard, like we are from Israel, we are Jews, you know. They are terrified that somebody might hear and we've had them tell us, don't say that loud because we don't want trouble. That's just terrible that there's so much anti-Semitism and so much hate in this world that somebody would be hated just because of their nationality. Hello. That's just, that's just wrong. So when they find a Christian, that's just a Christian because Christians weren't too nice to them back in World War II. Y'all know your history? Yeah, I deserve a better amen when I said that. Okay. Um, so when they find a Christian that says, we love you, we love your, your nation, your people, your land, we're behind you, they're just blown away. And I've had them say to me, remember that one lady that time up on the Gem Lake Trail? She looked at me just cold, hard. She said, why would a Christian love a Jew. <laughs> now, Pastor, I've been around these people a lot. I know how they, how they interact. I looked at her, I'm like, what kind of question is that? That's what they do a lot. <laughs> what kind of question is that? Why would a Christian love a Jew? Last time I checked, the guy who gave his life for me that I might be redeemed from my sin was a Jew. And you ask me, why would I love Jews? Oh I got goosebumps. Now, rest of the story. These folks here, where'd they go? They were there. Yeah, there they are. Rest of the story. We never did see any moose that night. We were driving home. Pastor Jonathan Murley had called me over a year ago and like, would you speak on uh, Genesis chapter tw uh, 12, verse 3, I will bless them that bless thee, curse him who curses thee, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So he said, would you be willing to come and speak on that? I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, when do you want to do it? Well, originally I think it was for the spring of 2021. So here we are, fall of 2022. It never happened because of your building problems here and supply issues. So I was like, I don't know if this is going to happen or not. That night, as we were driving out of the Sprague Lake parking lot, I said to my wife, that's an amazing encounter we just had. Um, I don't know if that thing will ever happen, don't you believe? But if it does... Um, I'm going to tell people that story. 
as God is my witness, Lord, strike me dead if I am not telling the truth. The next morning, we are fixing breakfast about 9.30 in the morning. My phone rings. It's Pastor John Leach. Hey, Pastor John, are you still willing to come down and speak on, on Genesis 12.3? Now, folks, don't you tell me that there's no God and that God isn't involved in our lives. That was an amazing confirmation that um, this was supposed to happen, and we believe it's going to be blessed and anointed. So, Genesis 12.3, we're going to do is keep this really, really simple. I love it when the Lord lets me just keep it really, really simple. We're going to deal with two issues. Number one, first question, does this promise still belong to the Jewish people today, to Israel, to the nation of Israel? Does it still belong to them? And number two, is this observable? Can you see it in action, in your world today? Um, let me just start by saying, without question, when God made that promise, everybody say promise. promise. It was a promise. When God made that promise to Abram, he also had in his mind you and I. He also had the church in his mind. And, and, and the blessings that God promised to Abraham belong to you as well. Now, you ought to get more excited about that. <laughs> I'm just here to tell you because to be, just walk in life and have the blessing of God all over you. Just, just you know, everywhere I go, I'm blessed. Everything I touch, I'm blessed. I have seen it in my life. I'll maybe talk about that more later if I have time. But for sure, it belongs to every one of you who are believers. How do I know that for sure? Well, when you go over to the New Testament, to Galatians chapter 3, verse 8, Paul talks about it. He says, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through... Hey, by the way, the heathen, that's you and me. I'm preaching to a bunch of heathens this morning, this afternoon here. But that's, that's what God called us, that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abram, saying, in thee shall all nations be blessed. And then he seals the deal, the last verse of the chapter, verse 29, if you be Christ's, then you are Abram's seed and heirs according to the what? Promise. To the promise. So, um, no question, don't be afraid to grab it and say, bless God, I'm blessed. I'm just blessed of God because of my faith in Jesus, and therefore the promise belongs to me. Now, the big question is, does this mean that the promise no longer belongs to the Jewish people? Believe it or not, there are some who say, well, eh, kind of, but not really. Um, here's how they look at it. They say, well, it still belongs to them, but the same way it belongs to us, and that is, if they have faith in Christ, it belongs to them. And if they don't have faith in Christ, then, sorry, it doesn't belong to you. Now, if, if, this is not reality, but if this church held to that kind of a theological position, and by the way, they can get out their little basket and go cherry-picking throughout the Scriptures. I'll pick one here, pick one there, and I'll, I can prove it that 
It doesn't belong to Israel anymore. It belongs to the church. You can do that all you want to. And if this were a church that, that thought that way, believed that way, and I know it's not, but if you were, I would say this to you. Uh, folks, you need to really look around because there's an elephant in the room. You know what that's saying? There's an elephant in the room. It's like there's something there that's very, very obvious, but nobody wants to acknowledge it. And all you got to do to find the elephant is go down four more verses in the 12th chapter, and here's what you're going to read. This is wonderful, the seventh verse. The Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. Huh. Now, fast forward another three chapters to the 15th chapter, 18th verse, and here's what it said God did next. He took that promise and he elevated it to covenant status where there's a blood covenant that is made between God and a man. It can't be broken. It doesn't matter what the man does. It cannot be broken. And <laughs> here's what it says, verse 18. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. He said, to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, that's the Nile, to the great river, the river Euphrates, which is up in Iraq. Everything in between there belongs, Abram, to your descendants. And he made a covenant. There was a there was a blood covenant that was made. And let me tell you something about blood covenants. You better pray to God it's this way. <laughs> blood covenant, it, you, can't, you can't disannul it. I mean, you're saved by your faith in Christ. So how do I know I'm saved? How do I know God is going to accept me as righteous and holy? Well, it's because of his blood that was shed. I have nothing else to stand on. If there's anybody that thinks, well, I'm just going to get good enough for God. <laughs> Honey, I got to tell you, God's seen better than you. He's for sure seen better than me. And I mean, who amongst us can say, well, I'm just so perfect. Oh, aren't you proud of me, Lord? <laughs> who can say that? I can't. No, I'm not going to tell you about my sin. That's between <laughs> me and God. But we all sin. We all come short of the glory of God. But the blood covenant yes. is still yes. in effect. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Oh, yes. Man, I'll tell you, I'm about to preach myself happy. Yes. If I was a young man, I'd jump off this platform. <laughs> I'm not a young man. That would not end well. But you see, God made a blood covenant. And he said, as part of the blood covenant, I am giving to your descendants all of this. The fact is, modern day Israel is the greatest demonstration of God of the existence of God that we have seen in the last 2,000 years. Yeah. 
I know that God answers prayer. How many have had God answer a prayer? How many have prayed a prayer that God didn't answer? Yeah, we all, I think we all have. I, I know I, I've prayed some that didn't get answered, and then later on I found out, thank God he didn't answer that one. But, but yeah, yeah, on a personal level, we pray, we see answers to prayer sometimes, and sometimes we don't, but we keep on believing and praying because we're told, pray about everything. Pray without ceasing. But listen, for a nation that was driven out, people say, well, that wasn't part of the covenant, was it? God did exactly what he said he'd do. But he had a covenant yet. It was still in effect. And so here we come to the last part of the 1800s. And what do we see? Some people in government start floating the idea. We think that the Jewish people that are scattered all over the world should have a Jewish homeland. It, it, in 1897 was the first uh, Zionist Congress. It was attended by over 200 delegates from over 60 different nations. And there it was voted. This is something that we need to pursue. We need to make this happen. Not much seemed to be happening until right after World War II. I don't know how much history you know. Most people are not World War II, World War I. Most people, they don't go back that far to, to know much about that. But listen, in World War I, it was a horrible war. There were hundreds of millions of people lost their lives. And there were countries that were allied together, basically against the two main countries or nations, whatever you want to call them. One was the Germans, and the other was the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire had threatened Eastern Europe for over a hundred years. Very, very aggressive. And those nations were defeated. So after World War I, the nations that were allied formed what they called the League of Nations. And the League of Nations was made up of the allied nations that had fought to defeat Germany in the Ottoman Empire. So they, they said, we've got to carve this thing up. Because it's, it is, it's been problems, and if we don't take advantage of this moment, we'll wish we had. So they carved it up. They created nations that had never existed before. Now, if you don't believe me, you go home, you can Wikipedia anything, okay? And just find out, where these nations come from? Where did Lebanon come from? Where did Syria come from? Where did Jordan come from? Where did Iraq come from? You'll find out they all got their start when the League of Nations said we're carving this thing up. And the League of Nations voted to put Britain in charge of Palestine. Palestine, that's not a nation. That's a geographic location. There was never a nation there other than Israel. Boom. Never was. Never has been. Not since or before. So... They carved it all up. They said to the British, you're in charge of Palestine, and we give you a mandate. It's called the British Mandate. We want you to go down there, and we want you to establish provision for a Jewish homeland. 26 years later, May 1948, 
guess what happened? The nation of Israel was birthed. Absolute miracle. It's never happened in the history of the world where a nation ceased to exist and then had a rebirth. And immediately after that, they, the young Israelis danced in the streets. David Ben-Gurion was the first prime minister elected just right then. He said, tell them, stop dancing. Go home and get your guns. You're going to need them. Because shortly thereafter, five Arab nations surrounding them, five Arab nations with air, aircraft and cannons and troop transports and all the modern warfare of that day, they all attacked. But guess who won? It's a miracle. They had no aircraft. Well, they did have. They had two Piper Cubs. They had two Piper Cubs. You say, how can Piper Cubs do anything that could help win a war? You know what they did? See, I've been to Israel. I've heard these stories. I'm, I'm, like, I'm, like, I'm like a little kid. <laughs> when my guide would tell these stories, I'm like a, a little kid. I'm like, oh, Tell me another one. Tell me another story. I want to hear another story. Oh, Marty, tell him, tell him the story about the Piper Cubs. He's like, John, just be patient. I will get to it. They're fabulous stories. The Piper Cubs, well, how did they use them? They filled bottles with seltzer water. And they would fly over the troops, the Arab troops, and they would drop them out. They'd hit the ground, explode, and the seltzer water would start foaming up. And they were sure, because uh, chemical warfare had been created in World War I, they were sure it's a chemical bomb. And they all ran with terror and, and left their positions. And it was amazing. Hear stories like that. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And so I, su I submit to you that the elephant in the room of those who believe in replacement theology, that we have taken the place of Israel. I'm sorry, folks, there are too many miracles for anybody to believe that. It's, it's amazing. God had kept his word. So now the next question. And I'm running late here, so I'm going to skip for whoever's running that thing back there. I'm going to skip uh, these two scriptures right here. Is the curse and the blessing observable. I want to recommend for you a book. This is an amazing book. It's well-researched and it is well-written. It's an easy read. Uh, it's entitled, As America Has Done to Israel. Okay? As America Has Done to Israel by John P. McTurnan. Okay? Get your cell phones out. Make yourself a note. It's available on Amazon paperback for about 12 bucks. And and the, what I'm going to give you now, I got out of that book. And he talks about the instances of where America blessed Israel and how God blessed America back. And also, when America tried to curse Israel, what happened and how God paid his, uh, America back. So I'm going to give you nine examples real fast here from uh, his book. But I encourage you, get the book, because this is just a tiny little fragment of, of the whole book. Example number one. On March 26, 1979, the Carter-backed Egypt-Israeli peace treaty was signed in Washington. As a result of that treaty, Israel gave up most of the Sinai. Two days later, on March 28th, 
the nuclear power plant at Three Mile Island experienced the worst nuclear disaster in American history. Interesting. Some people say, ah, it's just coincidence. Um, well, let's go on. Example two. On October 30th, 1991, the Madrid Peace Conference brought Israelis and Palestinians to the negotiating table for the first time. In his opening speech, President George H.W. Bush told Israel that, quote, territorial compromise is essential for peace, end quote. As he spoke, a storm was birthed in the North Atlantic. This legendary storm, it came to be called the perfect storm, you've heard that? That legendary storm traveled 1,000 miles in the wrong direction and sent 30-foot waves slamming directly into President Bush's home in Kennebunkport, Maine. <laughs> ah, it's just a coincidence. Oh, well, how about this? On August 23, 1992, the Madrid Peace Conference moved to Washington, D.C., and the very next day, Hurricane Andrew made landfall in Florida, causing $30 billion in damage. This is getting a little weird to just be coincidence. How about this one? Example number four. On January 16, 1994, President Bill Clinton met with President Hafez Assad of Syria to discuss Israel giving up the Golan Heights. Less than 24 hours later, the devastating North Ridge earthquake hit Southern California, resulting in $25 billion in damage. Hmm. Example number five. On September 28, 1998, Secretary of State Madeleine Albright announced a plan which would have Israel give up 13% of Judea and Samaria. That same day, Hurricane George slammed into the Gulf Coast with winds of up to 175 miles an hour. Do I need to read more? Example number six. On May 3rd, 1999, with President Bill Clinton's approval, Palestinian leader Yasser Arafat announced his intentions to declare the creation of a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. On that same day, the most powerful tornadoes ever recorded in the U.S. ripped through Oklahoma and Kansas, killing 42 people, injuring 665, and causing $1 billion in damage. Example 7, on May 4, 2003, and this one really, really amazes me. Colin Powell, Secretary of State Colin Powell, traveled to Israel and Syria to promote the roadmap for peace. This plan called for Israel to give up large parts of the land God had given to Abraham. He stayed in the Middle East for seven days. Throughout the duration of his stay, a record of 412 tornadoes struck America, causing more than $2 billion worth of damage. When Powell left Israel to return home, the tornado outbreak stopped. Wow. Example number eight, 2005. President George W. Bush convinced Israel it was necessary to remove all Jewish settlers from Gaza and turn it over entirely to the Palestinians. According to the New York Times, the last settlers 
were forced to leave on August 23, 2005. On that precise day, Hurricane Katrina formed over the Bahamas and just days later hit the city of New Orleans, causing over 1,800 fatalities and a staggering $125 billion in damage. One more. On May 19, 2011, Barack Obama told Israel that they must return to pre-1967 borders. Three days later, on May 22nd, a half-mile-wide tornado destroyed most of Joplin, Missouri. You know what? God isn't messing around, folks. And we might ask ourselves the question, why is God so intense about this? Why is God so fierce about it? I mean, this is, this is some fierce retribution. And the answer is very simple. Folks, listen to me. The integrity of God is at stake. If when God said to Abram, I'm giving this land to you and your descendants, to your seed, uh, and then made a covenant, a blood covenant, if all of a sudden he comes along and goes, well, you couldn't see behind my back. I had my fingers crossed. <laughs> I didn't really mean it. Listen, if that's our God, then how can you and I trust him? How can I trust him when he says to me, place your faith in the blood covenant that I cut on the cross and I will remove your sins from you as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you again. How in the world am I supposed to believe that? If he said the same kind of thing to Abram and then said, "Um, I'm not going to honor that. How can I believe when he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will certainly come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you will be also. How can I believe it? Why should I believe it? Uh, Heaven, hell, all the stuff that's in the Bible, anything that's in the Bible, why should I believe one word of it? If God didn't keep his covenant and his promise to Abraham, our faith is worthless. Worthless. But God did keep his word. In our lifetimes, we have seen it. And it has strengthened my faith and trust in the word of God being true. And, and God will honor his word. And I just want to, I want to, I've really labored with this one. Do I do it or, or don't I do it? I'm going to do it. <laughs> How about the blessing? How about the blessing? I'll bless them that bless you. Okay, I'll curse them that curse you. That's pretty well established. How about the blessing? And instead of looking at like world governments and nations, I just want to, I want to talk to you about, about what happened up at Loveland. When my wife and I came there, We had never pastored a church over 100 people. I didn't like big churches. I grew up in a very small church of about 100 people. 
And I just felt that big churches just had some serious lacking. And I didn't want any part of it. We came there. We had a heart for Israel. People asked me, where'd you get it? I have no clue. I have no clue where I got it. I'm German. After World War II, I can remember my parents sending care packages to relatives in Germany that were destitute. They had no food. They had nothing. So I'm German. Where in the world did I get my love for Israel? And don't know. It was just there. A deep love for Israel. We didn't love Israel to get something. You know, oh, I'm going to love Israel so God can give, give me stuff, you know. Oh, how shallow. <laughs> but we loved Israel. And then from the beginning, we started doing everything we could to bless Israel. And we stood in shock and amazement as the blessing of God was poured out on that church. The presence of the Holy Spirit was so intense that people would come in, literally walk in and go, I, I can hardly stand. There's such a presence of God here. The people came within six months. That church of 50 people was running over 500. And I got to tell you, we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, I mean, I've got Pastor David here. I got Pastor John. They were on my staff. I, I, I could stand up here and go, "Well, oh, I tell you, we did it." They'd look at me and go, "Oh, what a lion dog!" <laughs> he didn't know what he was doing. I didn't know what I was doing. I sometimes I, I look in the mirror. I'm like, you have a stereotype in your mind of what a pastor of a mega church should look like. I look in the mirror. I'm like, that ain't you. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. And, and we began to just see the financial supply of God. Listen, when a man sits down across the table from you and, and says to you, I just want you to know. I don't know why people want pastors to know things sometimes. But I just want you to know, I hate your church. Have you ever had anybody do that to you? Yeah, yeah, we all have. This guy's like, and I didn't even know who he was. I just want you to know, I hate your church. I'm like, oh, well, that's nice. <laughs> Six weeks later, I got the man who can confirm it. Six weeks later, he gave us a check for over $1 million. <laughs> I'll never forget, you walked into my office. I had told you to let me know, because he said he was going to give us something. You walked into my office. You were like pale as a ghost. You were shaking. He just gave us a million, $25,000. True story. You say, that doesn't happen. I know it doesn't, but it did. The blessing of God was all over that church. And I can give glory only to God. Yeah. 
because God did it and honored his word. And then the other side of that thing, and you guys can confirm this too. You let somebody curse us, curse me, curse my wife, come against us, try to pull us down, tear us down. I have seen marriages destroyed. I have seen men die very, very young. I have seen their children destroyed, and I never did a thing. It's the real deal. You curse me, you're going to deal with God. You bless me, you're going to deal with God. I will bless them to bless you. It's just that simple. I want to close with, with uh, just, um, what, is it? what is this? Two more. Uh, oh, that's a different sermon. <laughs> you know, I'm going over there. I'm going to just close with two more verses of Scripture. Genesis 17, 7 and 8. It's just, it's just, this is the way it is. God says, I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land of wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Honey, that's what we have seen in our lifetime. Thank you. God bless you. So we had talked uh, as to whether or not there would be any ministry with this or whether Pastor John uh, would just end it. And he had felt in his heart, it's okay, share this, this part with this. He had felt in his heart that if there was anything in my heart to share on perhaps a person who might uh, be anti-Semitic. Let me explain that real quick. To be anti-Semitic is not to necessarily uh, to hate the Jews, but it's not to love them. To be sort of laissez-faire about it, whatever. I, I really don't care. And that's not what we are called to do. I will bless those who bless you. And I will curse those who curse you. And all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through you. If you know Jesus, you are part of that covenant. There is not a second covenant. There's not an outside covenant. So when Pastor John says, is it still in effect? If God hasn't kept it to the Jews, then he hasn't kept it to us either. But as he kept it to Israel, then he's kept it to us too. So what Pastor said, if there's anything that's rattling in your heart, John, and maybe you want to say something about it. And I didn't feel anything, Pastor John, until you said this. Why do you have a heart for Israel? And you said you're not sure why. I can tell you why I do. In 1994, you took your entire staff to Israel. And my wife, I don't know if you remember, Chris, just, she's like, John, I do not want to go. If we go to Israel, we're going to die. I know we're going to die. Please find a way to get out of it. Tell him that we can. I said, Chris, there's no way out, baby. We are going to Israel. We have to go to Israel. Pastor John's taken the whole staff. The church has gotten behind this, and we're going to Israel. And so we go to Israel, and we had the time of our life, and it started in us. What we do in our church, we just got back a month ago, and it's our 20, I don't know that I'll make 26, but 16, we just 
past 16. And so, yeah, we, we're excited about that and love Israel. And I believe the same thing. A Jewish carpenter has built this church. That's what's happened. When I try to explain what has happened, and that same thing, I look in the mirror, I am not the, uh, you know, Joel Osteen looks like the guy that should be on TV. I do not look like that guy. But I know why I have a heart for Israel. Close to our last day there, the time change, and I've, I've told this, maybe you'll remember. I was up in the middle of the night and walked out on the balcony. And I know the scripture, and there's the scripture to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And I thought, I'm here, and yet I've never done this. I mean, how many scriptures are in there that we read, but we never do them? So I'm standing on the balcony overlooking the old city of Jerusalem in the hotel that we were on. And I just began to pray. Middle of the night by myself, Chris is asleep. I'm praying for the peace of Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit speaks to me. And listen to the words. John, I am the peace of Jerusalem. You're not praying for just an absence of war. You're not just praying for the absence of conflict. But you're praying for the Prince of Peace to reign to rule in Jerusalem. Of course, we're praying for peace too in the natural sense. But all of a sudden, I, my eyes were opened. Have you ever had your eyes open spiritually? You were just blind to it. You're deaf to it. You're, you're insensitive to it. And I began to weep on a balcony over a people group that I never even considered before. And that meant, yes, I knew where Israel fit in the scriptures. But to be honest with you, I, I, I wouldn't have said I had replacement theology but I was replacement theology for Israel is what really was going on. I thought all of those things were for me. Not realizing that I had been grafted in and it's the root that supports the branch. The branch doesn't support the root and Israel is that root. And it gave me such a heart for Israel that I've tried to explain and tried to teach. Guys, now when I told you before that the things you see that you appreciate, they didn't begin with me. They've been passed down from a mom and a dad, right? So that those things are in our heart. So, I thought, Pastor, when you said that, that's it. To be anti-Semitic is not, I doubt, I mean, maybe, maybe there's someone in here who with hatred in your heart. I can understand that. That's the spirit that's out in the world. But perhaps it's just that, meh, just indifferent about it. God does not want you to be indifferent about Israel and about the Jewish people. He does not want you just to be okay. He wants you to identify that spiritually speaking, you are grafted into that branch. And what happens in Israel, what happens to Israel, happens to us, happens to the church. There's no doubt about it. And Pastor John went further in that message and talked about the revivals in the church that have come at the time when America has blessed Israel. My goodness, what a time for America to be blessing Israel right now. If there was any really wanting revival, the church should get behind blessing Israel in a huge, huge way right now. Mm. So I thought I would just pray on that because maybe the Lord can use that to open an eye right now. Maybe you've never considered. Maybe you know about Israel's place in the Old Testament. Maybe... Uh, maybe what Pastor John said about Jesus being Jewish, yes, I get that. But maybe you've never considered that he is the peace of Jerusalem and that if you serve him, then we serve him the way he is. Not the way we think he should be, but the way he is. So just close your eyes for a minute and consider in your heart, where are you at with Israel? 
Where are you at with the Jewish people? Where are you at with what's been preached tonight? If you can hear a message like this and literally just be, yeah, my friend, I'm telling you right now, your heart is hardened to what God is saying. This is huge in God's heart. And as Christ followers, what is in our Father's heart needs to be in our heart. What's important to Him has to be important to us. We don't pick and choose those things. We say yes because He's God and we're His creation. And so I ask you to consider right now that perhaps you've just had a meh attitude. And so one more thing to consider. How's your life? Maybe you've been actually praying, God, bless me, God. Uh, open the windows of heaven, God. Why are all these things happening? Can I ask you to consider? Maybe it is a connection. Maybe that simple scripture, Genesis 12, I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse those who curse you. Yes, you're born again, right? You love Jesus, you're born again. But if you don't enter into this covenant, you're missing something incredible that God wants to do. And I would go so far as to say, if you can just simply be passive about it, just at whatever. That is a form of anti-Semitism. And if push comes to shove, that, that attitude will allow for anti-Semitism to thrive in this country. Rather than for someone to speak up and stop. You've got to be passionate about something that you'll stand for. We don't stand for things that we're not passionate about. Where are you at on this issue? What's going on inside of you right now? And perhaps you would say, Pastor John, uh, man, you're putting your finger on something in my life that I, I hear from God right now. It's a little bit stern. I get it. But I think this is not something that's just kind of like, oh, that's interesting. I think it's something the Lord points out and wants us to deal with. And deal with it quickly and deal with it once and for all. God, give me a heart for Israel. God, give me a heart for the Jewish people. God, give me a heart for what you're doing in the world today. Folks, as we come down in space and time to the end of the world, watch Israel. Just like I've taught, watch Israel. It is from there that you'll find much of Bible prophecy being uh, uh, revealed and, and, and shown throughout the world today. All right, so if you're here, and you say, Pastor John, Pastor John's, both of you, what you said tonight speaks to me. It speaks to my heart. I hear you. I hear you loud and clear. And it was for me, Pastor John Stalker, that that thing was rattling around inside of you. And Pastor John Leach, as you address it, I hear it. And I don't want that thing in my life. I want God to give me a heart for Israel. I want Him to give me a heart for the Jewish people. I want that to be something that is, if that's the Father's heart, then that's the heart that I want in me. And if you say, Pastor, pray for me. I want God to do this in me. I don't want to just be whatever about it. I don't want to just be like, oh, that's interesting. But I want to be passionate about it because if that's in God's heart, I want it in mine. If that's you, Pastor John, pray for me. I want you just to raise your hand real quickly. Pray for me. Yes, it's several of us. I knew it. Pastor John, you were right. It's several of us, many of us. Keep your hands up for just a moment. Father, in the honesty here, there's not condemnation. There's not judgment there's the opportunity for you to do something awesome in our heart, Lord. And so, Father, I'm praying just like you did for me and like you did for my pastor and so many others in this room. Give these people who ask a heart for Israel and for the Jewish people. 
God stir them to the point to not just feel some emotion, but to be moved, to speak up, to pray, to stand, to give, to go. To be a part of it, Lord. God, I thank you right now. You are going to open the door to something magnificent. And God, I am praying that Jubilee would experience just what Pastor John talked about, that presence where when you walk in, you're just like, wow. God, we want that here. We want, church say it, we want that here. We want that here. God, we want that here. Lord, money can't buy it. (laughs) And just saying we want it won't get it done. Lord, I believe there's something. Lord, when we bless your heart, (laughs) you give us the desires of our heart. God, the desires of our heart would be for more of the Holy Spirit than ever before. Do Pastor, I always wanted Jubilee to look like Res. I just never thought there was a greater church in the world than Resurrection Fellowship. And I still pray that what the Lord did for you, He'd ultimately do here in a fuller way even. And I pray for that. And I believe that there's a connection here in this. So Father, we put away anything, Lord, that you say no to, and we hold on to everything that you say yes to. God, let us hear good reports of how you delivered people and how you've spoken to their hearts. Father, do more than ever before in this. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Would you thank my pastor for the message tonight?